Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey there, Josh. Good Hello. job on that new intro. No, I almost said first time filmmaker. I know you did. It almost <laughs> came out. <laughs> and uh, there is no Jason Rugg today. He forgot to pay his internet bill, so he cannot <laughs> join us. But in his stead, we have the music man himself, Jeff Kurtnecker. How's it going, Jeff? Hello. Doing well. Awesome. Awesome. And then also with us is our sound guy, Jason. Hello, Jason. Hey, hey. Jason, who so, doesn't even look like himself because he has longer hair than Ella on Elsa on Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word. I don't get the reference, but. <laughs> you haven't like, seen Frozen? Well, yeah, everyone's seen Frozen, but. Long hair is long hair, isn't it? That's true. It is. Go I'm watch Frozen, Jason. Length of hair. It's longer than it's longer than Jeff's hair. <laughs> Ding! That's low hanging fruit, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, if you're not watching this, if you're only listening, uh, Jason's hair is down to his chest, and Jeff has none. It's all <laughs> it's all on his face. So. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, we want to talk about the short film Grueling Glory today. But before we do that, Christian, do you have a film update for us? I do. Something actually very exciting. So uh, thanks to Michelle Coupe, our co-producer in France, and Flavie Poisson, uh, one of our reenactors and um, PAs that worked on the film, uh, we now have, I think, three extra screenings in Normandy uh, during the D-Day week. So we have a very special one on June 2nd where we're going to have cast and crew uh, and sort of a little party with that. And then um, we have the Normandy World War II big red carpet event for that film festival. But we there are no tickets. They're sold out, which is why we tried to come up with a new event. Um, and then we're partnering um, with the town of Carenton to do another showing on the on June 12th. So we'll have three that day and probably another um, reception or something like that. Um, what's so great about this is they were able to work out a deal where we can show the movie in the theater, pay a tax for the film, which is like 10 or 20%, something like that to the government. And then we'll split the revenue 50, 50 with the theater and they're going to do all the marketing for us. So I think it's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, a lot of people there will be able to see the film that they were in. So that's amazing. Um, hopefully there are some people on Patreon. There's at least one supporter who has paid the uh, high rate in order to be able to go with us to Normandy. So I'm going to reach out to her this week wow. and see if she's interested. We're so thankful for her contribution and would love to have her with us. So um, so yeah, that's, that's the big exciting news this week is, um, we'll start planning that for that trip and figuring out who can go over there with us. And because we were going over there, I also realized this week, um, we had talked about the brave Dutch and the brave Dutch being submitted to, um, you know, Netflix to get funding. And, um, one of the companies that looked at the brave Dutch Disney wanted a sizzle reel. Well, of course we don't have a sizzle reel for the brave Dutch that would involve me spending a lot of money to do that. And we don't have that at the moment. And so we have this other project, Carenton, uh, unlocking the key to Liberty. And it, it dawned on me that we could conceivably shoot a, 
um, a short sizzle reel while we're there this summer. In fact, we can probably put a lot of it together even before we go from the footage that we already have. Uh, Tom Rice, one of the veterans that's good at, that's in grueling glory, is also going to be there again. I think he's 101, maybe. Um, so wow. we'll be able to interview him. He was actually at the Battle of Carenton around La Barquette. So he can walk us through the fields and talk to us about what he did. And we can interview Denis Vandenbrink, who is the you know noted historian about this battle. So um, talking about low-hanging fruit, there's this is one of them where we will already be over there. There's a lot of stuff where you know individuals are paying for themselves. So hopefully we can shoot some new stuff and create a sizzle reel, and that's already given us a lot to talk about and you know some exciting creative stuff to do. So uh, that's where my mind's been this week. Um, sort of balancing all of those projects and figuring out, you know, what's coming up next. And yeah, still no news on um, Netflix watching Netflix or anyone else watching The Girl Who Wore Freedom. So we're still waiting for somebody to weigh in about that. Um, and yeah, we haven't heard back uh, about The Brave Dutch on that pitch either. The good news is I did talk to Virgil Films and they are interested in the Carenton, um, you know, unlocking the key to liberty documentary so that was exciting we just have to get a sizzle reel and put a package pitch packet together so there you go this sizzle reel makes me think of when it's kind of like the thing you know we're like hey we'd love to hire you but you need experience and you're thinking well how can i get experience if someone doesn't hire me you know and, and like hey we want to see this film uh but you need a sizzle reel like well someone needs to pay us something <laughs> we're gonna but the, the good news is, is often some of the best work comes out of restraints. So when you are limited in funding or time or resources, that's where you get creative and you've already figured out a solution more or less to create a sizzle reel and on the cheap and it'll be exciting to see what comes of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I taught when I was talking to Virgil Films, the sizzle reel um, qualifications is really what I was asking them about, because I got this idea of like, well, we already have a lot of sunk costs, you know, we're already going to be over there and the reenactors love doing stuff and don't charge us for that. Um, and so, you know, all that's kind of already in place. So I wanted to know from, you know, from Joe, okay, what does this sizzle reel need to look like? Um, and what he told me was that it needed to be three to five minutes in length and it needs to show the arc of the story. Uh, the people watching the sizzle reel, let's say it's Netflix, they really want to see what we can do. They want to see the style of filmmaking and they want to see a polished piece so that they know what they're investing in. And it makes total sense. Um, so, you know, I, I just began to realize that we could get a lot done. We already have a lot of archival photos and videos about the Battle of Carenton. We already have some interviews of people that live there. We, we have a lot in our possession already to work with, um, and the rest of it really wouldn't cost us anything, interviewing people and stuff like that. So I'll have to put a team together, so I do have to figure out who the DP will be. I have to figure out who, uh, you know, I would love to take Jason Hoban back over there with me, but I doubt <laughs> I can entice him uh, He's certainly going to do the sound design and Jeff will do the score. So of course you guys are completely welcome to come. We'd love to have you. I'd love to go. Yeah, I'll do it. 
great. This summer, <laughs> this summer. I mean, here's the great thing. If you do go this summer, you guys, I mean, you'll be a part of this really big film festival. And Jason, you have not been to one film festival with us yet. So not what yet. A better one to go to in, in Normandy. That's a, that's a fair and valid point. Also, Delta is chartering a flight to go over there for people on the team. What? Then, what? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. I'll do it. All right. You're what, in. Wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? So, you know, we're partnering, partnering with Delta. They were super excited about the film. They love supporting veterans. So they have decided to charter a flight from Atlanta to Deauville, which is in Normandy. It's not even Charles de Gaulle. So they're getting us all the way pretty far out. The night before, on March 31st, they're doing an honorary dinner to honor these World War II veterans. So we're partnering with the Best Defense Foundation, which is um, headed up by Donnie Ed Edwards. And, um, you know, he's the one that's really sponsoring a lot of the veterans. So we're going to do a dinner on the 31st. And then uh, we're going to fly over on June 1st. And Michael Strasberg, who's grandfather is in the film will be one of the pilots because he works for delta um so there's just a lot of chemistry they may even fly flo and danny over early so flo and danny could fly back uh with all the veterans so we're still it's still all in the works we're putting it together michelin is going to be one of the sponsors as well so that brings in david chapman um, it's just going to be a super exciting time to be a part of this film and to be over in Normandy. And um, yeah, so love to have you guys with us. But chartering a flight for the team doesn't mean you just show up and say, hey, I'm on the team. And then you get on the plane. Is that? No, no, no. You know, we'd have no, to right. we'd have to deal with that in the, you know, early <laughs> on. So make a decision now. Plus, you know, you got to reserve places to stay and we have access to those places and, you know, can get them pretty inexpensively. But you have to make the decision, you know, right around now, reserve your place to stay and figure out you know, transportation. Like I've told people before, it's a four hour drive from Charles de Gaulle to Normandy. And so you usually leave in the evening and you land in the morning and then you're tired. So do you want to drive four hours all the way out to Normandy? Not exactly. So you either choose to have somebody pick you up or you spend a night in Paris or something like that. So it's just all sort of stuff you got to work out. Sounds like fun. Yeah. All right, well, why don't we shift gears to grueling, grueling glory. Sorry, I'm having a hard time speaking. Um, do you want to give a recap on? Yeah, we'll just recap this real quick. It's a nine minute, 52 second short. Uh, this was shot at the same time that the girl who wore freedom was. And um, it was written by Michelle Phoenix, who was our translator at the time. We had sent her on a mission to uh, be part of the um, second unit team that filmed the Exodus March and the La Barquette March. And she was really a witness at this event. So she was really blown away by what she saw. This was early on in our time shooting. Um, just the love and the admiration that the French reenactors had for Tom Rice, who was a 101st Airborne veteran who was, you know, drove up in a Jeep to meet them and thank them and talk about his story. And so she wrote this blog post. I thought it would make um, a great little short. And I had talked to the team about kind of continuing to work to kind of keep our skills honed and 
you know, be able to be on the festival circuit and give us another credit. Um, you know, if we were able to win awards, you know, it would just be adding to our collection of awards as a team. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're young filmmakers and we're all wanting to, you know, build up our resume and add to what we can do. And I thought this would be some low hanging fruit for us. Um, but it did entail, um, finding new footage. We used some from the girl who wore freedom, but we had to dig around and find new footage to go along with stuff. We needed a new score. And then Jason had to, um, you know, make it all sound fabulous. Um, Bill Ebel was supposed to be here today, uh, but got pulled away for another thing. He could talk about sort of the editing behind that and maybe we'll have him on another time. But um, Jeff, why don't you do a little bit of talking about the score and um, what you did to create that. And then we'll talk to Jason about how he kind of put everything together. Yeah, the um, I will say the process was different, much different and much faster than the Girl Who Wore Freedom, right? The Girl Who Wore Freedom was years in the making. Um, and the actual what you hear in the film from a music standpoint was also sort of years in the making. I mean, there was just so much iteration and process and just trying to find find that voice of the music. Um, and with grueling glory, maybe it was because it was a shorter, I'm sure that had to do a lot, right? It's a 10 minute film versus a, a 90 minute film. But um, there, I felt like on all fronts, Bill, Jason, myself, uh, Christian, Michelle Phoenix, like <clears throat> there was already this playground we were already playing in. We didn't, I felt like I'm the girl who wore freedom. We had to find the playground first and then play in it. Uh, this film, because it's sort of, cut from the same cloth as a girl who wore freedom um in a way we already were familiar with that playground and like christian said we had honed those skills and so when it came to making this film um there wasn't a whole lot of back and forth with the music specifically um i remember turning it in and feeling like okay that's like draft one and there might have been a few changes and i was sort of like oh, so are we are we good like is everyone happy with this and uh everyone seemed to be fine with it, it was like oh okay i guess I guess we're done. So that process was much quicker um, from my standpoint, at least. Um, maybe Jason has different stories, but I remember feeling like, oh, is this, are we done? And then I, and I felt like maybe they're not happy and they're just saying they're happy. Anyway, you know, you get all these, you get a lot of self-doubt and you think like maybe they're just saying that's fine. And then in the background, they've hired someone else. So, well, um, now, Jeff, I mean, I think that you hit the nail on the head when you talked about we were found the playground. We were already playing there. We already had a great idea of the feel of everything. And even though it was a different story, there were enough of similarities there, um, you know, where you could create something new and unique, but in the same ballpark. And um, yeah. yeah, what I what I didn't want to do was repurpose the Girl Who Wore Freedom score um, or I didn't I didn't want to create a score that was like you could not tell if it belonged in there or not. Now, I think there are some similarities, but I felt like it was it deserved its own sort of unique identity um, because this film, if the girl who wore freedom is a photograph of history, I feel like this film is an impressionist painting of history because what we get Michelle Phoenix, her way of telling the story is in my, in my soul, I feel like it's more poetic um, than what Christian was. Christian was um, filtering through her perspective, but it was still, she's telling a story of history and trying to bridge the gap of this love story um, and Michelle Phoenix is 
a very poetically and heartfelt sort of giving her impressions of this this man and this um, these reenactors and everything that she saw and it comes out in a very like, beautiful heartfelt poetic way and because of that um, I felt like there was a little bit more I don't know the, these memories and these um, to try to try to encapsulate what we're seeing uh, with all these reenactors, but also the words that she's saying um, are very evocative uh, of, of these personal emotions that she's having. So I felt the score needed to be a little more tender um, until we get to the end where we have these triumphant sort of moods because of, uh, of the images we're seeing and we're talking about, you know, um, kind of in a similar way, the girl who wore freedom ends up, we talk about remembering and, and, you know, um, keeping that spirit alive of freedom and love and compassion and all those things. Uh, but we hear specifically just to dig in a couple nerd, I'm going to nerd out on a couple specifics. Uh, on this film, we hear a lot more woodwinds. I use like the oboe and the clarinet a lot more just to kind of give these light sort of wispy ideas of, of memories, uh, this sort of like haze that you have to kind of you know, bat away a little bit to be able to see the film. And I feel like the woodwinds give a nice sort of floaty haze to the score. So I'm using a lot more woodwinds, whereas The Girl Who Wore Freedom, I use a lot more strings and brass. Um, and in both scores, I use a lot of piano because it's, it's good when you don't have a live orchestra to lean on the piano. It's good because um, it's going to sound pretty good in the mix. Uh, it's not going to sound super fakey, uh, whereas sometimes the the computer samples of other instruments might be a little like, oh, that's not a real person. But with a piano, it's very forgiving. Um, and I play piano, so it's very easy for me to express myself on piano. Um, anyway, I was trying to do more of this Thomas Newman effect style on this particular film, where I'm taking a three-note mo motif and sort of packaging it up in different harmonies. So the three notes we hear, um, in the beginning of the film it's more minor keys and very sort of it's not sorrowful but it's you know it, there's there's a weight there and there's a heaviness and uh because of the memory and she's describing you know the frailty um of the situation and of this person and so it's it's a beautiful recountenance of her feelings and then later i can package those same three notes in a more triumphant uh chordal setting and harmonic setting that we feel like it's all familiar material that we've heard throughout the film melodically, but now I can give it to you in a way that feels like, oh man, all right. And I feel uplifted and, and, uh, and like there's hope and joy and those kind of feelings, which we want to end on. So um, yeah, so for me, that was kind of my, my approach. And uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know what I would have done if it was a longer film, but I will say that the 10 minute thing felt really good from a package standpoint. I felt like I could just focus on one or two ideas musically and really just play with them. And that was a lot of fun to do. Whereas in a, in a longer feature length film, um, you have a lot of time where you're just sort of doing pads and mood and you don't really, you know, there's a lot of time to play with. And this is more compressed and I had to be really, uh, you know, poignant with my ideas to get them in and out. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, is there music throughout the whole thing with this one? There is, I think, a very, I, uh, I just watched it, actually, and uh, 
I felt like in the very beginning, either the music is really low intentionally, or I did drop out for a bit, but um, <clears throat> there's, it is pretty much wall to wall music from what I could tell. Um, and so, <clears throat> but the nice thing is there's these little, there's a lot of space in some of these moments of music, much like the Gruhor Freedom where we hear these chords and it sort of shifts slowly and there's space in there. Um, but <clears throat> what we hear a lot in, the, in Grueling Glory is these kind of low percussion hits too. Um, right in the beginning of the film, we get this kind of like low bass drum and snare drum and these boom, boom, boom. And it kind of, these sort of distant war drum kind of feelings. I, again, that, that history echoing through the years kind of vibe of these military men. Um, and that played a really important role as we have the, this footage from the reenactors or archival footage, being able to um, use the percussion in that way. Yeah, I, I think too, you're right. There's a real difference between the way that Michelle Phoenix saw and wrote what she saw and what I did. Mine's much more of a cinema verite, you know, personal discovery kind of experience. She's a writer. And so in her mind, she writes this very rich, um, you know, woven together, um, well-written piece um, that she reads. So it is a very different film. Um, I thought, you know, as always, your music was very thoughtful and took that into consideration. Um, it's, it is a memory, you know, it's mm -hmm. a memory. And I thought you did a good job complimenting that. Um, I do think it's very interesting that we did our feature and then we just did a short, you know, typically <laughs> on these film festival circuits that I've been on, everybody does the short as proof of concept for the longer feature that they want to do, you know, we just, yeah. you know, we'll do it backwards. Why not? No reason to start being traditional now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I want to jump in and say that I, I approach this the same way where the, the documentary, it, it, it exposed us to this, this event that's happening in Normandy and all throughout France. And so if you, if you didn't know that this was happening, this is a great exposure. So this is great that it happens first. And then Michelle tells you the story on a, you know, more poetic or romantic as if, okay, you've learned about what's happening. And then you get to kind of be there emotionally through Michelle's writing. And when I watched it again today to, uh, to be ready for the podcast and I teared up and I, cause I got to see a lot of these events, events in person and, I just was able to go back there and feel that powerful, those powerful moments. And that's how I approached the mix, the sound design and the way that I treated the narration. And it wasn't like in the documentary where it was very realistic at times, it wasn't very dreamy like. And in the short, I was kind of trying to romanticize those moments as well and make it feel like something you're reflecting on as opposed to seeing for the first time. So Jason, I don't remember, were you and Jeff, either one of you at this event by any chance? I, you know, I wasn't with Michelle that day, but I do want to say at some point we crossed something. I do remember seeing all the soldiers march. I just, you know, they, they cover quite a bit of ground, so I can't remember where. But um, I went to the yeah. bakery that's in the shot when they're marching <laughs> through Carentan, but I was not there on the day <laughs> that that happened. 
Yeah, I I wasn't either. That's why I was asking. I wasn't there either. So the cameraman was Guillaume Lamezzo. We also had a um, drone operator there that day. Um, and then um, I think we had Michelle and Flo Boucherie. Uh, I just didn't know if we had any sound there. So we were clearly doing something else, Jason. You were, you and were with me and we must have been doing an interview or something because I didn't remember this at all. So seeing the event through Michelle's eyes was really kind of cool. Um, just a different perspective. So um, Jason, did you, was there, were there any challenges? I mean, I think you probably, again, what I loved when we were over in Normandy is you were recording Jeeps and you were recording marching and boots. And did you use any of the stuff that you recorded in Normandy in this one as well? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That That's always my goal. I love to use to bring that authentic quality to it. So yeah, I always try to use whatever I captured there. And Guy would, those guys always mic'd up their cameras. So they, they, they would throw on a, a 416 shotgun on there and they would be capturing audio. It just would have a, you know, a larger perspective, a further back or whatever. So um, yeah, the the Jeep, I remember using the the Jeep sound effect when we kind of see when we talk about uh, Tom Rice rolling in, that's the actual Jeep, because we were I, I was on that shot, I remember recording that, but then I took the same model, an actual recorded sound effect, and then I stylized that to kind of let it ring out throughout the spot to, to bring in that more like hyper realistic feel, and add to the like drown it out into the score. So it almost feels like a sound effect falls into that musical element. And so it was, it's a mixture of both. Um, but for the most part, like when you see everyone walking through the town and they're chanting and, you know, left, left, right, that's actual audio from the location. Oh, that's cool. Well, cool. what's, what I think is interesting is we also didn't have the deadline craziness that we had for the girl who wore freedom. I mean, we truly were locked when we gave it to you, Jason, <laughs> and it wasn't <laughs> like you have to do, give us this tomorrow. <laughs> so was that a better experience? Yeah, no, just even to go back to what Jeff said, it was, it was a whole different process. It was not this tight turnaround kind of action that we were in before. It was something familiar that we'd, we'd done. And there was elements that kind of carried over that we, that I used from the documentary into the short uh, with grueling glory. So yeah, it was a much fun, it was an easygoing process, but yeah. it also helps that it's not. 90 minutes i know having a 10 minute film as opposed to a 90 minute film is like all the difference in the world i mean it really is like you know a sprint versus a marathon you know and it's just a different i see why people do the short first um <laughs> makes sense you know you kind of get that stuff worked out we just did it backwards we just did it the hard way <laughs> we did it and you know it's i when i look at my edit session when i look back at the film i i don't see like just a couple weeks i see years of work at different time <laughs> points and i could just recall what that was when it was you know what was happening then and then when you look at grueling glory it's just kind of like a snapshot it's so small and it feels um just like a whole different world but yeah it was <laughs> it, it's fun to look back on it both ways yeah, for sure. So what, uh, if we get an update as to, you know, what, 
Jeff and Jason, you guys are working on outside of Normandy projects? Jason? Sure. Um, I, I started a business with, uh, uh, my business partner, Mark Ruff, we, it was an engineer I worked with at Chicago recording. We started our own thing. We started a remote studio. So that's kept us really busy. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I do a lot of work with a company called animated storyboards where we do animatics. Um, I do a lot of short films for independent people. I do some podcasts. I do this podcast um and all kinds of different odds and ends and i you know it's kind of great as i'm working with jeff right now on a uh meditation series so um i yeah, didn't we, know that that's really cool we've been yeah. keeping the, the band together here the, in the background <laughs> hey i feel left out isn't there something <laughs> i can do actually you need to benefit from this meditation series i think <laughs> no that's for sure i need that give me that I will. I'll share it with you. It's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I try to keep busy with different projects and, um, and it's great. Yeah. When we can keep the band together, cause we made so many great relationships. Like when you ask me to go, I just said yes instantly. I don't, if I'm going to make it happen because, uh, I know what I'm getting into where before I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine what it would be. And it was, even though it was crazy at times, it was, some of the most memorable meaningful moments i've had and working with everyone along the lines yeah we've made some lasting relationships yeah and i understand now like when you look at hollywood and you look at how you know this person works with this person and they seem to do so much stuff together now i get it i mean i totally get it once you have been through this battle right and you've produced <clears throat> something you make these intense hopefully long lasting creative partnerships. And we were very blessed, I think, to have that happen. Um, you know, I feel like we're a really great team and I do look forward to, you know, these other projects that we have coming online just because I can't wait to work with you guys again. Same. Yeah, same, we agree, it'd be fun. Jeff, <laughs> what are you working on these days? Uh, so I'm um, the audio director on a video game that's being made about, uh, I don't know if you guys know the sci-fi show, The Expanse. Um, it was on sci-fi and now it's on uh, Amazon. It's in its last season right now, season six, just is being released now. And um, so we're making, uh, the company I work for is making a video game um, based on um, the series of books in the show, uh, The Expanse. So I'm doing music for it and heading up the audio team for sound design and voiceover and um, doing a couple other projects on nights and weekends. Obviously, like Jason just said, uh, doing some stuff that comes his way when he needs it. Um, and a couple other games that have come across my desk that I'm really excited to dive into. Um, and then I spent most of the fall leading up to Christmas sort of arranging and producing this Christmas EP that I was really excited about. I got together with some friends. And um, so it's kind of these, I don't know, non-traditional arrangements of very traditional Christmas songs. And, uh, and it was really fun. And so we, we, I don't know if anyone else likes it, but we, we've been digging it and we had a great time doing it. So um, I just trying to do, you know, stuff that one, I got to pay the bills, but also trying to find more opportunities to, you know, do stuff that is, uh, is fun. Even if it doesn't make me any money, I still want to be expressing myself creatively somehow. I hear you. I have a question about the Expanse video game. I mean, obviously the show had music in it already. Mm -hmm. but the video game, are you 
asked to duplicate that? Sounds similar. Or you use the same stuff. Yeah. So <clears throat> they haven't asked us. Uh, Elcon is the the people who uh, have the rights to the show, and in an interesting twist, I was expecting them to say, you know, use the theme and use this uh, this stuff from the show. Um, but they, I guess, do not own the rights to the music for the show, um, which I think they would, but I guess it wasn't a work for hire agreement or something. So, um, so they can't tell us, they don't have the, the authority to say, use this, uh, or use this theme, even in the announcement trailer, um, we just released in early December to announce that we were making the game. And, uh, when the title shows up at the end, I put the little, uh, the expanse theme at the end and they said, oh, you can't. You can't use that because we don't have the rights to it. So I was like, oh, in some ways that's kind of, oh, that's nice. I can I can put my own thumbprint on it. But to answer your question, I do there is a desire that fans of the show will feel at home at fan, in the game. So I'm trying to make the music feel um, similar in a way. So I'm paying attention to you know the harmonic choices and the, the arrangements, but we do want to push the envelope in in some ways. That's interesting. So when's the game come out? Uh, so we haven't announced a release date, but um, we just announced that we were working on it. But I will say we're we're pretty early in working on it. Uh, okay. So we still got a little bit a little bit of time. I uh, I don't know if I ever brought this up. Uh, I recruited uh, a young woman to work with me, and her dad was wanted to check out the company and everything. So he actually came in for the interview, which was interesting. And it turned <laughs> out he is famous in the world of video soundtracks. He did the uh, Halo soundtrack. Oh, is this Marty O'Donnell? Uh, what, what's his name again? Marty O'Donnell? I think that's it. Um, he also I, did like the Flintstones vitamin, didn't he? Uh, that one I'm he, not aware of. Uh, that's how but like th this is a guy that would, you know, at Comic-Con type conventions, you know, for video games, like people come to get his autograph and pictures. And I, I'm not in that world. So I had no idea. I'm like, oh, you're, that's cool. Um, but uh, it's a whole other, I mean, that could be you, Jeff. You could be people wanting pictures and autographs because of the Expanse video game soundtrack. It would be unbelievable. I don't see it happening, but it would be great. <laughs> but, you know, I do see people really engaged with you on Twitter uh, about the Wildstar game. Apparently, tons they, of people love Yes, they love that. I just shut down my Twitter account. But they do love, uh, they wait, do. Wait, wait, wait. Why did you do that? <laughs> I just couldn't take it. I, I would get, I would get so. I mean, this is a whole nother whole nother podcast. Uh, I would just get so depressed and so emotionally unstable by going on Twitter. I just, I felt like for my mental health, I just had to like stop um, because. I just applaud you. I'm applauding Jeff. Right comparison now. is the thief of joy, is what I'm told, and uh, I just could not get over that. Oh. Hump. Some people handle it really well. Let's just not say that one more time. Comparison is the thief of joy. I like that. Yes. So true. It, it's been worded, I think, different ways, but my wife has told me that for the years, and it's so true. I go on Twitter, and I see everything that people are doing that I'm not doing, and then I just am depressed for like a week, and I felt like it's just not healthy. Anyway, so uh, the Wildstar soundtrack had definitely a sort of a cult following. Even, even the people, not just the soundtrack, but the game itself had a a cult following, not enough of a following to keep it up and running, unfortunately. But unfortunately. Um, yeah, it's uh, that that's been a a huge, I don't know, source of inspiration, I guess, from for me is when people who love that soundtrack will reach out or, or just say, you know, how much they loved it. That's awesome. That is awesome. Very cool. 
All right. Well, very exciting stuff. So the short film, uh, Christian, what else do we need to talk about grueling glory? Anything else? Well, um, it, it is, uh, we haven't had any acceptances this week. Um, we just to review, we've had five acceptances. We've had five rejections. Um, but one of our acceptances is the Flathead Lake International Cinema Fest. And we are nominated for the best documentary short. And I decided this week to accept their invitation to come in person. So I'm going to be going January 27th through the 31st. They're showing it on the night of the 28th and the night of the 30th. So I'm really looking forward to that. If you're listening to this and you happen to be near Polson, Montana, uh, come say hi. Uh, so, yeah, so we're just kind of seeing what happens next with that. Um, I do want to move into our new segment called, you know, some of our favorite documentaries. Remember? Um, <clears throat> oh, are we in on this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Did you come prepared? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Uh, I'm gonna give you a <laughs> second because I'll, I'll talk about one of my very favorite ones, and then if you guys come up with one, uh, you can chime in. But I am addicted to the Frank Sinatra "All or Nothing at All" documentary, and I don't know what my problem is, but I watch it all the time. And I think they're two or three. It's probably only two. Like they're like two hours long. Like each episode is like two hours long and I will just watch it. I've watched it through just sitting there watching it as a movie several times, but now I just put it on in the background uh, and listen to it. And I, I think it's that I love that era. I love the mid-century. I mean, I'm designing my whole new office in the basement in the mid-century modern theme. I'm just obsessed with that style. I love the music. His life is fascinating, but it's told, the story is told so well. Um, and, you know, I'm amazed at sort of how the filmmakers pieced together. They went back and, and looked at all of his interviews and, and everything from when he spoke at colleges, from when he spoke on, you know, different shows. His mother and father had been interviewed at one point by the phone. They interviewed his son and his daughters. And I mean, they cover everything and most all of it is in his own words or the words of his family. And then there's a lot of other people interviewed too, you know, Sammy Davis Jr., blah, blah, blah. And you understand what a complicated figure this man is. And it all began because at some point he did an, an early retirement in the 70s and he put together a whole set list and he began with the songs that sort of, you know, moved through his career. And the first one is All or Nothing at All. That was his very first song. And, um, so they kind of use his set list that he made during that to tell his story all the way through the film. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the top ones on my list. Who wants to go next? I saw that, by the way. Yeah, it was very good. You thought it was good, too? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even like a the, huge Sinatra fan, so. How'd you like the music? I mean, it sounded like Frank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll say something real quick. Uh, this is not a documentary, but it's based on a true story. It's the HBO Max limited series Landscapers. I've not heard of this. It's about a uh, married couple who are found, they tell you up front, they're in jail right now for murdering <gasps> her parents. And they, they, to this day, claim their innocence. And But they just, they tell a story and it is so creative because it's a mixture of drama and comedy. They break the fourth wall and it, it goes from being a film to being very much like a play. And, 
and the actors are like, well, staged scenes, like they're, they're doing a flashback. Well, this is what happened. Well, no, 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 no. Go over there. Stand over there. Like, you know, it totally weaves in and out of these worlds of reenactment and play, talking to the audience, uh, a serious crime drama. So creative. The actors are phenomenal. Landscapers. I'm, I'm only halfway through it and I can't get enough of it. That's, that's awesome. All right. You're up, Jason. I just finished, and I'm not sure if it, it, I mean, I believe it's a documentary, Get Back, the Beatles documentary on Disney+. Plus. Is it good? I want, it's on my list. It's it's amazing. It's I, I wish I was more prepared to give everyone credit that made this happen. Peter Jackson's behind it. Um, the Beatles had stopped uh, touring for like two years at this point in the documentary. So they're getting back together, putting some music together. They were going to do a TV show and just... So they're they're tracking all of this and they're following this all on along with the Beatles and you can see them working on music and trying to pull off these type of this type of performance. I don't want to say too much if you haven't seen it, but it gives you like a really good insight into the band. You get to see them for who they are. You get to see uh, what it was like for them to work on music together. And it's just uh, it's it's amazing. And when you talk about sound engineers and recording engineers, you get to see all of those people around with the band. So you can kind of see how much it takes to make something like this possible. And you get to see those other talents. You get to see, you know, them thinking about mic position and technical things and back in the late sixties. Right. So this was a whole different era, seventies. Um, and yeah, I get to see some of like George Martin is one of my heroes. I, I just what he was able to accomplish with the Beatles is amazing. So you get to just actually see their personalities and who they are. And it's it's great. The episodes are pretty long, but you get this kind of you get to hear what your fa- some of your favorite Beatles songs sounded like before they were finished. That is awesome. That's, cool. That's yeah. awesome. Have you watched Thank McCartney you. that three, two, one on Hulu with Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin? Jason? No, I have not. Oh, you would like that too. They're basically Rick Rubin, who is one of my heroes. He, uh, a producer, he, he and Paul McCartney sit down and they go through songs and they have the masters there. So they bring up the bass track or they bring up the vocal and they really start. And Paul McCartney will say, oh, I was trying to do this on the bass. Or I really was influenced by it. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Again, I'm not a big Beatles guy, much like uh, Frank Sinatra, but I thought it was great. So you would like so it. So what is that one called? I think it's called McCartney 321. Interesting. I'll check it out. That's on yeah. who. Well, since we're throwing out bands, one yes. of my all-time favorite one was the um, the documentary about the Go-Go's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeff yeah. and I have talked about this before. That sounded great. I was in a coffee shop, but I'm sure it was amazing. Right. <laughs> Jeff and I were supposed to go together. <laughs> and, uh, and so we had it all planned out. We were going to go together and we drove over there. And we're going to park the car and run in. And of course, you know, the Sundance, we can't. Uh, parked the car. So Jeff kindly let me go in. I got to meet and talk with the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles, the Go-Go's. Yeah, the Beatles. That was a (laughs) magical thing. Uh, Yeah, it was phenomenal. It was a great documentary. Soundtrack of my senior year. That's awesome. Uh, So I, if you don't, if you want to... No, go go on ahead. Okay, because... I don't have to. Uh, I, I don't know if these are my favorites, but recent ones. I will say one of my one of my favorites in recent years was the documentary on Muscle Shoals. Um, and I don't know if you guys have seen that. Muscle either, Shoals, but... Alabama. 
Yeah. So the Muscle Shoals is like the place for like hit making records back in the in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I heard about this. Yeah. yeah it's really it's great. Um, when they you talk about that swamp sound and how they got it and these all this black music was played by all these white people. <laughs> and it was just so fascinating about how these they got that sound and what was so special about that that time and that place and people from all over the world wanted to come and record there so a very uh very interesting and fascinating and then uh i recently saw on hbo the one about the making of jagged little pill the alanis morissette one and that was a fascinating documentary as well that was a, one of my favorite albums uh when i was in high school and not also in the like josh had not a documentary but a true story uh worth with michael keaton where they have to figure out the value of lives after 9-11 i've seen that on netflix and i don't know a his accent's terrible uh <laughs> so i'm like i don't want to watch that and yeah. then that's just on the trailer i have no that- idea how much of it's true but i thought it was an interesting i didn't know that was going on uh you know and it's interesting that some people had to sit down and, and figure that out yeah that's pretty deep. It's it's basically how do you figure out what a life was worth during 9-11, right? Yeah. So they have to convince people to not sue the airlines, otherwise it would cripple the economy. And so instead they have to convince people to take part of this uh, victims fund where they the government will distribute money and they have to assign how much each victim's family would get. Uh, and so what, what's the math on that? And, and it's, if you don't, you know, and then your goal is to try to get them to not sue. It, it was, I thought the premise of it was good. It may not even be close to how it went down, but they're apparently portraying real people in real scenarios. Um, Josh, I'm surprised you didn't bring up my date with Drew. Well, oh, that's a we, good one. We, we got to look, we, we just listed 10. We got to space these out. We're going to run out of documentaries <laughs> this segment. <laughs> so I say we cut it off here. Eight is enough for one episode. <laughs> and we'll for mention show. one or two next time. <laughs> throw throw people together who love documentaries, oh and you know you're 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 here for a while. Don't even get me started about McMillions, man. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I love it. Okay, it so well, hey, much. I want to say thanks for listening to Documentary First. Before I say that, though, I want to say thanks to Jeff Kurtnacker for being on, and Jason Hoban, thanks for being here, yeah, Christian Taylor. Guys is really going to need some of that meditation therapy you guys are working on. So to her quick, I'm going to share with everyone. Christian, you got something quick you need to say? Because I'm about to wrap this puppy up. Nope. I thank you guys for listening. Patreon people, thank you for donating. You're keeping us in business and we really appreciate it. So keep listening and keep donating. It means a lot. All right. Yes. Thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody.